0: Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective 2020 with Neil Johnson on Vision I'm going to be asking some questions today What happens when the church takes responsibility for its own Bible translation? Some may think that's a recipe for disaster Others may think, here's an opportunity to supercharge the Great Commission In the current digital technological revolution There is a major shift in Bible translation The growth of the global church, coupled with the reach and uh, capability of digital technology, is enabling the church to play a key role in Bible translation and the broad distribution of the translated scriptures. Traditional Bible translation methods have provided uh, scriptures for millions of people but cannot keep pace with the demand. The good news is things are changing. Our special guest today is David Reeves. He's the president and CEO of Unfolding Word. He's described as a leader who leverages the best in people and technology to accelerate the global church-centric Bible translation movement. He's joining us from the U.S. on the line today. G'day, mate. Welcome along. How are you?
1: I'm good, Matt. Uh, uh, All's well here.
0: It's good to catch up with you, David. Now, tell us, uh, whereabouts are you based at the moment?
1: I'm in Orlando, Florida,
0: and give us a bit, of a bit of a weather update. What's it like there today, mate?
1: <laughs> uh, Orlando, Florida is very much like probably what somewhere like Brisbane or up in uh, uh, Cairns there. Okay, you know, more tropical kind of environment. So it's a little bit of rain today here, but uh, nice in the you know 80s or so. So
0: good weather. <laughs> and what time of the day is it for you right now?
1: Well, it's 8.31 p.m., so we're coming into the evening. Of You guys are just waking up, I guess, there, aren't
0: you? <laughs> yeah, it's uh, 10.30 a.m. on the East Coast, where I am right now. And uh, thanks for staying up late to join us on the radio, mate. And uh, I know you've been to Australia before. We'll get to that soon. But uh, let's find out a bit of your story, mate. Firstly, where were you born and raised?
1: I was born and raised here in a state called Georgia, over here on the east southeast of the uh, United States. Uh, rural part of the country, grew up, and uh, before, I mean, very, Southerner is what we, you'd call someone from our part of, if you were in the United States. Mm-hmm. And, you'd probably pick that up in my accent a little bit and talk it to you.
0: Yeah, I can pick that up a bit, my brother, and uh, tell us a bit about your, your upbringing. <laughs> Did you have like a religious upbringing at all?
1: I was raised in a Christian home, uh, deep south, Southern Baptist, I don't know if Southern Baptist is a denomination in Australia or not, but, uh, you know, conservative Baptist kind of background. Uh personally didn't come to a saving knowledge of Christ myself until I was 14, and you know, it was one of those sort of things that you grow up in a home like that and you don't, it doesn't, it doesn't click with you the fact that this decision is something that has to be personal pastor was an evangelist and did evangelism work in Brazil, and he had a heart for evangelism. And he came and challenged me one time about that, came to my home and said, you know, David, just being in a Christian home doesn't make you a Christian. Something, a decision you have to make, and I accepted Christ when I was 14.
0: And did it happen at like a youth camp or at a church service? Tell us what happened. No, it actually happened in my home. He
1: came and he was doing home visits and came to see me because he knew the family, knew that I mean I was a good kid but um uh, lost as any any anyone else in terms of didn't have a saving relationship with Christ. So he because he was an evangelist and evangelist at heart, he kept doing evangelism as he was pastoring. Came to the house, saw me, we uh, you know, we prayed together, accepted Christ. The next Sunday, I you know went down and proclaimed that you know my uh, that to the, the congregation. And a few weeks later, after some mentoring and discipleship, was baptized.
0: Fantastic, mate! And did you uh, uh, feel the call to ministry at a young age, or did you uh, end up you know working in a secular career for a while after school? Tell us about your uh, what you did after school.
1: Well, my uh, interests as a uh, bright kid in school, did very well uh, and intellectually, and I was gonna go off and become an electrical engineer, went to school at Georgia Tech. Had a great plan for my life, it was my plan. The intentions was to become an engineer, make some good income, give to missions. All I knew of missions at the time from my Southern Baptist background was a couple of offerings that took up twice a year, one for North American and one for foreign missions, Lighty Moon, Annie Armstrong. So I, the plan was go off, make good money, give to missions generously, give to the church generously. But God had other plans. as you know how that goes. We all, many have stories like that. That didn't play out that way. God intervened. Uh, school didn't financially, couldn't keep the remain there. And somewhere along the way that during the college years, around 19, I started realizing uh, this plan I have is not God's plan. And I, I, got to the point where I was willing to say to him and surrender him say, Lord, I don't care what it is you want to do in my life. I, I just want to do what it is you want. And if, for those who knew me back then, Matt, I was a really shy guy, kid. I, you could have held a gun to my head and you wouldn't have got me to say anything in front of an audience. So when I said this to the Lord, I said, Lord, even if it meant being a pastor or a teacher, you know, up in front of an audience, that was a big step of you know, courage on my part, saying, even if it meant something like that lord i'm willing to I'm willing to listen and hear what you have for me and it was just a matter of weeks after that I first heard about bible translation, ministry of Bible translation, and some of the needs, and found out that there actually some people with my skill sets were actually needed in bible translation, and that began a journey of several years from there but uh it shifted my focus from pursuing my own dreams to pursuing one that aligned with what God had for me.
0: And I'd love to know a little bit more about uh, your ministry and Bible translation, but let's just sidetrack for a moment. Uh, You just mentioned to me off-air that you spent a little bit of time in Australia many years ago. Uh, Tell us about uh, your time uh, down under.
1: Yeah, it was one of those things. wasn't my plan, but it was God's plan. Uh, those in your audience there would, might remember uh, back in January 1999, there was a uh, civil unrest in the islands you called Ambon, uh, locally is called Ambon, but Ambon, just north of you there, north of Darwin. We lived there, my wife and my two children lived there in those islands. We were there supporting Bible translation. I'm not a Bible translator myself. I'm one of the technical people that make Bible translation possible in terms of aviation, communications, a lot of background and stuff like that. That's what I was there to do. And we were living on that island of Ambo, Maluku. Well, Al Qaeda had training camps, and this is pre 9 11 and pre some of the, of the war that resulted after that. But in January 1999, they had training camps scattered through there in the Asia region. Including some in Indonesia. And the intention was to try to create an Islamic super state in that uh, Southeast Asia area. Well, those uh, Al Qaeda um, folks did some training with the people who lived on our little island there, radicalized some Muslims who came and then began to attack and kill Christians, slaughtered thousands of them. And we happened to be living on this little tiny island when it went on. We were evacuated to um, – get into the details of that story. It's a complex one. But by God's grace, we were able to uh, be evacuated to Darwin, Australia, and ended up living there in a little caravan uh, January of 1999 with our family for about six months before we could get a visa to go back to a different part of Indonesia. But we – family fell in love with Australia, been down to – I don't think you'd call it Airs Rock anymore, but you know, been down there, climbed it, uh, been to Sydney, been to Brisbane, been to um, Cairns, um, so many places, and enjoyed the country deeply.
0: Uh, well, it's good to hear that you've uh, you've made it down here, and you're welcome back any time, mate. We'd love to have you. And um, for those who don't know about Unfolding Word, your ministry, tell us all about it.
1: So I've been involved in the Ministry of Bible Translation for about 38 years, and as I mentioned earlier, part of that time was supporting what you might, what many colleagues refer to the established model of Bible translation. And when I say that, there might be a couple, say, from Melbourne, Australia, who feel a calling to go up to Papua New Guinea, your neighbor to the north there, and to work with a people group and do a Bible translation. Um and then, you know, they'll spend 20, 25 years to get a New Testament completed because they have to learn the language and culture. And it's, it's a very slow, difficult process because the language communities are usually quite isolated. And the, the couple who, you know, got masters in linguistics are the ones who really the weight rests on their shoulders to do the work. So that's. More of the established model, and I served that model for 27 years because I was part of an organization called Wycliffe Bible Translators. There's a Wycliffe Australia right there, I think in Melbourne areas where the headquarters are. I've been to their offices there. So it's good folks do good work. There's nothing wrong with what they do. The problem is, is it can't scale to the demand that's currently grown in the global church. What's happened over the years is the church in the West, as it's declined in Europe and even in the United States and Australia, is blossoming and exploding in other parts of the world, throughout Africa, throughout other parts of Asia, your neighbors to the north, your church in even Indonesia. is exploded there. And the growth and demand for Bible translation has way outstripped the established models, the model that I used uh, was part of, helping support and all. So in the process of all that, I know this is a bit of a long answer to your question, but in the process of all that, I began to realize that we were misaligned with how the church has exploded globally. We are trying to serve it from an, an older model paradigm. What would it look like if we actually could empower the church, these church networks who desperately wanted Bible translation, who were tired of waiting what would it look like if we could empower them to do good quality Bible translations themselves? What would it take to do that? And that was the impetus or the birth of Unfolding Word in May of 2017. We're we're coming up on being six years old here.
0: Well, I really am fascinated to know more about this ministry. I, I have been to Papua New Guinea and visited the Wycliffe Bible Translators uh, camp up there in uh, Garoka, and I've had some time up there and. And I was just so amazed. I mean, if there's something like 800 languages I think there is in PNG, and they're, they're slowly working through them. And uh, I've also been to Cambodia, where I've seen they've got like a kind of a King James version of the Bible there, an old, older style version, but they're trying to translate into a more of a modern version. So I've been to some nations and understand a little bit about Bible translation, but clearly we're in a time of accelerated growth when it comes to Bible translation, and it's a significant time we're living in. Just just give us an update. Where are things at right now with reaching the world with Bible translation?
1: Well, in the in the larger statistics, you're looking at about 7,000 languages that are spoken worldwide. I mean, there's evidence it may be more than that, but there's at least 7,000. And there's only 706 of those who have a whole Bible, and another... Fifteen hundred or so that have a New Testament. Then you then you can start getting arguments about small languages. Do they really need a whole you know, New Testament? Do they need a Bible? Even when you get down to the granular level, there's at least fifteen hundred languages that definitely want and need at least a New Testament. At mm. least fifteen hundred. It could be closer to more like about three thousand. But mm. there's for certain, everyone and all the Bible translation agencies will agree. There's at least fifteen hundred. The problem is this, though, Matt, is the low-hanging fruit has been taken. Now, what I mean by that, I don't mean that it was easy to go live in Papua New Guinea. If you went up to uh, Ucarimpa there and saw the center, that was not easy to get to, nor is it easy to live in the villages there. Mm. So it's all due respect. I have the highest regard and respect for my colleagues who have done are involved in those kind of models of Bible translation. But it was accessible, and it wasn't easy, but it was accessible. What's left are things like, so how are you going to do Bible translation in Iran or Sudan or Vietnam, you know, closed countries, hostile environments, either because of Hinduism, Islam, communism, those kind of environments. And I'll give you an example. <clears throat> we work with brothers and sisters in Christ who were former Al-Qaeda and Taliban high-level leaders in the Middle East who now love Jesus. They want their people to know about Jesus in a language that speaks to their heart. They desperately want to see that happen in their lifetime, and they're willing to do whatever it takes to make that happen. But as I, as we sit with them in a safe house in the Middle East, we can't go to their countries like Yemen or Afghanistan and stuff, but as we sit with them in a safe house in a secure location that we all can meet at, and we sat around and talk about how we're going to do this. Think about it for a moment. Here's a guy who was a former Al-Qaeda, a high-level guy who's come to Christ, loves Jesus, trying to reach his people. He's not going to go to seminary in the West. That's not possible for him. It's not an option for him. I can't go to his country to do translation. I'd get killed. He'd get killed. You know, The whole thing would come to just an a, a abrupt ending. So what we were left was sitting around the table there, thinking about. It, they're saying, "So how are we going to empower brothers like this, to be able to do Bible translation, quality Bible translation work, work that all of us uh, as evangelical believers and Christians in the, in the body of Christ would be comfortable reading and hearing about, and knowing they did good work, but doing it in a way that they were empowered to do it." So that that when you get into the nitty-gritties, which we can unpack over the next hour. It'll be things like what technology they have access to, um, some machine learning or AI built into that technology. What resources they have access to it has to be resources. that's not just locked up in a copyrighted English resource. It has to be in languages uh, that they can use, like Arabic out of the Middle East, or Indonesian if you're up in Indonesia, or you know Mandarin in China. You know, there's several little pieces that we. Is to begin to kind of look at this and you know, set back, and do a deeper missiological, ecclesiological reflection on what's happened in the church globally and the massive workforce that was available to finish this task. Massive workforce. The largest workforce in all of history resides in the global church. And in that context, getting that remaining need done what the age the established agencies had decided and this is their own words it was going to be 2150 if they kept doing what they were doing the way they were doing it it'd be 2150 before they could get a bible into all the languages that needed one what we're looking at now though is pulling that goal back to 33 that's a current target that it, with god's grace and Lots of hard work and his unmerited favor that it is possible by the year twenty three thirty three that we can get all the remaining needs taken care of. But that won't be done by doing the way we've always done it. It will be done by empowering these church networks, large-scale church planning networks, with the tools and resources so they can just take care of their own needs.
0: Well this is absolutely fascinating. I'm looking forward to uh, I've got a few other questions I, I really want to ask right now but we are going to go to an ad break. Uh, our guest today is David Reeves who is the president and CEO of unfolding Word and he's just mentioned that by 2033 we might be able to have the Bible translated into you know all the heart languages around the world you know that's a that's a goal they're working on fascinating uh, and I've, I've been I'm glad you mentioned AI. Uh, as you, you know, because I I thought when ChatGBT came out, I thought, wow, surely that's going to help Bible translators, you know. So we're going to talk more about AI, ChatGBT. We're going to chat about how to reach the world uh, with the Word of God. Uh, If you've got a question, we're going to open the phone lines right now, 1-800-316-316. Maybe you'd like to ask David a question about Bible translation. Maybe you've been to... Uh, some nations in the world that need the Bible translated into their heart language, and, and you've got some experience in this. Uh, like I said, I've been to Papua New Guinea, I've been to Cambodia, and I've seen the need for Bible translation in these different nations. Uh, maybe you've got a question you'd like to ask today. Phone lines are open. From, uh,
1: 1-800-316-316. My wife's Australian, so we got two boys. But um, my question is this. Um, regarding Bible translations, is it possible to put it like in a digital format, say like on a mobile phone? Because I know countries like... Um, Afghanistan and uh, Iran, it's, uh, it can be rather dangerous to be holding the Bible on hand. But if you have a mobile phone with a digital download of the Bible on there, um, is that possible,
0: David? What are your thoughts?
1: Yes, it's often what happens uh, in the digital world. You know, we saw this transition happen with print books. Now you have them available in Kindle and audio books and stuff. And you're exactly right about there are places, many places where leading or making available something in print could be very dangerous and oftentimes in the initial distribution is going to be digital anyway many of the communities will will want a print copy and we can make those available but that's kind of like the, the back end of the process the scriptures as they're translated a book at a time would be made widely available easier distributed on a digital format so it is exactly right that's the way probably most uh, certainly in our case in church-centric Bible translation, most of the work begins is distributed in digital form. Print comes later.
0: Thank you so much for that, David, and uh, thanks for your call, Joseph. Uh, If you'd like to call through, maybe you've got a question or a comment, you can call through on 1-800-316-316. And our guest is David Reeves from Unfolding Word. And, uh, David, another question I wanted to ask. So with the introduction of ChatGBT and AI, how is that going to change things when it comes to Bible translation?
1: Well, as I mentioned earlier, Matt, the idea that uh, for us to be able to power our global south or you know, our, our, the global church to be able to do Bible translation, they need the, the exegetical resources and tools and languages you understand. They need it in Arabic. They need it in French. They need it in Indonesian. So those tools, those AI tools that you're seeing in Chat GBT, we're actually testing them. We have several colleagues and some of our some of our staffs involved in testing to say what would it look like to use those kind of tools to translate the exegetical helps? Now, I have concerns, and many do, and understandably so many of the other people do too, about using something like that to do direct Bible translation. Um, that could run into all kind of you know problems and I've seen some silly responses and anyone can you'll see that if you play around chatting GBT. Somebody, if you want to trick it, you can certainly fool it, and I've seen some silly stuff that's come out of it. Um, but using it for helping create the exegetical resources, which uh, it's not scripture, it's the resources to help be able to commu- help them understand what's going on in the scripture text. We're actually experimenting with that and and finding some fairly decent results in the major languages like French and Spanish, big languages where there's a large corpus of information and data. Tools like that seem to work quite well. A different problem now, though, when you start talking about a minority language, say some small language up in Papua New Guinea that, you know, a few thousand people speak and there's nothing in digital form, that's going to be a very complex situation. But you can help those people by having the resources translated in, say, to talk pidgin, And those resources now, in a language at least, is reachable for them. Or um, Indonesian, say, a little bit further over to the west there. Now you've got tools and resources, and AI is useful for that. Good application of it. There are other ones also. Our software checking tools, for example, we have a tool called Translation Core that allows the translation team to go back and check. The AI helps drive the engine on it, but it checks every idiom, every metaphor, every key term in the scripture text. So if you think of going translating a book of the Bible at time, and let's say you just finished Titus. So, it's going to look for, it's going to take them literally through that text, every idiom, every metaphor, every key term. And it'll also, the AI would note the fact that, hey, you know, in this place you translated like this, but over here you're translating the same Greek term differently. Is that okay? Pay attention to it. It can't make a decision for you, but it can help augment your your ability to check. Not unlike, if any of you, I don't know if you have the product Grammarly in Australia. But, uh, something any of the sort of software tools we have to help us write in our English writing skills, pointing out, you know, spelling, grammar, punctuation problems that's the kind of thing our software tools do in checking processes.
0: Well, this is a fascinating conversation, and our guest today is with us for the next uh 30 minutes or so. If you've got a question, you can call through on 1-800-316-316. Our guest is David Reeves. He's the president and CEO of Unfolding Word. And uh, we're talking about Bible translation today, and it's a global church-centric Bible translation movement. We have got Jason from Melbourne. Jason, you've got a question for David. Yes. If I was to do
1: Bible translation, how would I go about it and... I'm interested in your ministry, I'm David.
0: Thank you so much, Jason. David, any thoughts?
1: Yes, Jason, thank you for that question. And I'd say, well, for anyone interested in what's happening here in Church Church of Bible Translation, one of the first things I would say, I would, I would invite all your listeners to do, is get involved in prayer. You'll see on our website uh, a section specifically dedicated for that prayer. Start there, and beginning to understand how God is working, what he's doing globally, countries he's working in. Prayer will invite you into that larger narrative of what's happening there. Secondly, then you'll find on our website some job openings. There's another one I want to add today. We need some people with some technical skills and um, understanding websites and email marketing, communications, kind of stuff like that. And we have posi- several positions. There's that one I'm going to be adding here in a day or two to the website. So there's some job openings there. And yes, you can do that in Australia. We had a Kiwi who was part of our team up until just a couple of years ago. We've got uh, team members there in Canada, team members in France and the Netherlands and Switzerland. So we have people from uh, around the world that are part of the team. We work as a distributed team and would welcome you know uh, help from anywhere on the planet. There's another level in terms of those who have the financial means who want to get involved financially, and yes, you can give from Australia. uh, That that level of engagement. So prayer. There's some job positions, and then finally, there's uh, you know some uh, the opportunity for financial giving to projects. Maybe you have a heart for Papua New Guinea or a heart for Indonesia or some other particular country uh, that might direct that, or maybe it's just you want you're excited about Bible translation and it's just generic across anywhere in the world. But God's doing phenomenal things. What's happening right now is oftentimes in some of the most difficult places, I mentioned earlier, places like Iran, Sudan, Vietnam, uh, Venezuela, countries that are closed for outside access, but God is still at work uh, in the church within those countries, and they're asking for help. So yes, there are ways to be involved.
0: Wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you for your call, Jason. Thank you. God bless you, David, and your ministry, and God bless you. Praise and your family, and all the best. Bye for now. Thank you, mate. If you'd like to call through, maybe you've got a question or a comment for David, uh, you can call now, 1-800-316-316. And David, we've been chatting about the term that it's a church-centric Bible translation movement. Uh, for those who don't understand the difference, do you want to unpack that for us?
1: Yeah, so the reason we use that term, uh, it, we, it, we didn't invent church-centric Bible translation. First, I need to make that clear. What we what we saw happening in my travels uh, globally, I began to saw see this disconnect between what we were doing and more of the established models of Bible translation, and then these church rapid church planning growth movements that were dabbling in Bible translation, trying to do it by themselves, with very little help you know from from others but they just they're going to do it themselves they're trying to do it themselves they're doing the best they can and it emerged and it was as it was growing i began to see this disconnect so one of the things we tried to just dis- we've been involved in an effort to try to describe it make others aware of it our bible translation established bible translation partners aware of it many are, several of them are starting to step in and partner with us, including Wicca Bible Translations, U.S., and Biblica, the International Bible Society, partners with us closely. So in that process, the, the contrast that we were trying to capture is this, Matt, is there are many good agencies doing Bible translation. That's what they focus on. They do good work. There's nothing wrong with that work, and the world needs more Bible translations. That's good. That's a very Bible-centric kind of process, though. It's about producing a Bible. In this case, what we're doing is more church-centric in that it's about equipping the church to be able to meet its own needs. So it's it's actually a theological formation and development process that we're enabling the church to be able to meet its own needs. So it's more focused on the empowerment and equipping of the church than it is on producing the product, although the product is the outcome. But think of it in terms of what if you could do a Bible translation— in seminary, if that had been your seminary experience, I imagine, Matt, you went to seminary somewhere, and many of your listeners are made into Bible college seminary. What if your project in seminary was to actually do a Bible translation? How deeply do you think you would have understand the scriptures having done that? Mm. It'd be profound, you know, wrestling with every word, every text, every idiom, metaphor. So that's what we're doing is inviting these communities into that actual, the community as a, a hermeneutic community, being able to be involved deeply in the text and wrestling with the meaning of it and saying, was well, this the right way to say it? Does that communicate the right idea? So it's much more about the life of the church as a hermeneutic community, the body of Christ, um, working through the process of transforming the scriptures into a heart language than it is about producing the product, the Bible. Nothing wrong with that, but that's why we use the term church centric because this, the focus is shifted. The other thing about it, too, and I often say this to friends, is when I um, when I look at the big picture from Pentecost all the way to Revelation 7-9, you look at what's God's big, large, unfolding plan here. The plan is the church. It's not—I mean this with all due respect, so there's no—I'm not trying to be pejorative in this, but when we get to Revelation 7-9 and John sees this sea of people out there, and somehow or another— the Holy Spirit enables him to see, recognize, hey, there's some from every tribe, nation, language here. No one standing around with T-shirts that says, you know, Baptist uh, Brisbane, or First Presbyterian, or First Methodist, or whatever, <laughs> or Wycliffe Bible translators, or unfolding Word. Somehow or another, he recognized them as the body of Christ from Indonesia, or China, oh. or some of that might be external features, or other indicators. Somehow, another the Holy Spirit enabling that. And that is the body of Christ, the body of Christ. So this centrality of the church is a key, one of the missiological, ecclesiological things as we we're reflecting on this. What if it's not about the agency? What if it's about actually the organism, the body of Christ? And we shifted the agency of the work into the body of Christ so they are able to do it themselves. It wasn't something a publishing house did for them. It wasn't something some other, someone else did for them it wasn't something did something someone did with them even it was something they did themselves they have the sense of ownership and uh, engagement with it uh, that would bring value to it unlike what often happens when someone does something for you we've heard this from you know relief agencies in many uh, contexts for years uh, someone gives them something it build, even builds a church building well that's the westerners building. It's not ours, because you did it, not us. And unfortunately, that happens even in Bible translation. There are Bible translations in Papua New Guinea that sadly sit in a warehouse because the local community saw that, well, that was the Westerner who came and did this. We celebrated it, that he finished it, and then he left. It's not ours. And I don't want to see that ever happen again. And it will never happen again if the community themselves roll up their sleeves and say, we want a Bible translation so bad we're willing to do the work.
0: Well, we are chatting with David Reeves from Unfolding Word about Bible translation. Phone lines are open on 1-800-316-316. We've got him for about another 10 minutes or so. If you've got a question, now's the time to call. 1-800-316-316. And I love hearing stories of how the Word of God is changing people's lives. Uh, I I did a bit of a search, uh, David, and uh, saw a bit of a story uh, that in 2019, there was 12 translations of the New Testament, which uh, was in uh, South Asia, uh, in the foothills of the Himalayas. And it only took two years, an incredible achievement. Uh, celebrations broke out uh, when there was uh, you know, Wycliffe Bible translations, every tribe, every nation, unfolding word. South Asian ministry, all joined together. Can you just unpack a little bit of the the incredible, um, you know, testament, that is, of 12 translations trans- translated in such a short time?
1: Yeah, I was there at that dedication, and it was quite a profound experience. It's in a country, in your region of the world, and I can't mention the name because my name's all over the press there, and it <laughs> I'm in trouble already, but... Uh, The country, what you have is a lot of language communities without scriptures, and a church is growing rapidly, wildly rapidly, in the midst of a very hostile persecution, a government that doesn't want the church to grow and has taken intentional steps to prevent it from growing, interventions from, you know, persecution from economic, physical, any number of levels, uh, things that have happened there. Uh, It's that dedication, what the point of that that happened there, Matt, was... The, the established Bible translation, my partners, part of the Illuminations Global Alliance, um, wanted to say, okay, we hear you talking about this, David, show us the proof. Mm. So we took 12 languages in this network, and they had outside consultants, Bible translation consultants, who are certified and know what they're doing and have that experience doing this. They took five consultants who looked at those 12 languages and did a deep dive analysis with the language communities. And they came away from that experience saying these are exceptional translations. That was their words. They were exceptional translations. In fact, they you know, they said that they're surprised at how quality they were surprised at the level of quality they they managed to achieve. In some sense, it's not surprising. And the, th- the language communities know their language and culture, and they know really well you know a lot that the West would not know because you know they're local. What they didn't have access to, and what we brought to the table was. They didn't have access to an open uh, text that they were uh, allowed to use as a source text. Uh, And we made all our – everything we do is in the creative commons. We make things readily available so that it's um, it's, uh, in the creative commons with attribution share alike. So basically it says you're free to take this text. It has our trademark on it, but you're free to take this text. Use it for translation work, and the derivatives are yours. We're not going to claim ownership over any work you do from that. It's all in the Creative Commons. So all our software tools are open source, and our texts are, 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 are text for Creative Commons, including our exegetical helps. So these communities were able to use our resources. For the first time, they could sit down, have access to software tools, have access to external resources, and did phenomenal translations. So I'll tell you about one specific one. We'll call them the Kerry language community just for security purposes here. Nine million speakers, no Bible translation whatsoever, ever. Never happened in history. Nine million speakers. So we're talking about something the size of a population the size of, like, London or New York City, you know, big, large populations. An unreached people group that had 100,000 believers. Now you think, okay, 100,000 believers, but there's nine million speakers. So that's still less, that's 1.1% there's still a very tiny presence with the church. But 100,000 believers motivated that they wanted scriptures are capable of phenomenal things. So amongst those believers, they said, we want scriptures, could you come alongside and help us? And we stepped in and helped them. They were the one, one of the communities that celebrated that day at that big dedication. For the first time in history, now God speaks their language. That, you know, one of the things I kept hearing is, now God speaks my language. They saw the national language as a foreign, even though it was in, it's not English, it was a, a, a regional language there, they saw it as a foreign God and foreign you know, outsiders trying to impose on them, but now God spoke their language and could speak to their heart, to their old people, to the young people, and they, it was a wild, wonderful day of celebration that I truly, it, halfway through the day, I'm thinking, I don't want this day to end, just keep going. This it felt, I can imagine a little bit about what it's going to be like when we get to heaven, And we have the grand celebration of arriving wet the uh, Mayor's Supper of the Lamb.
0: Well, inspirational to hear these stories of uh, God's Word getting into these nations. And uh, we're chatting with David Reeves, the President and CEO of Unfolding Word. Uh, If you do want to call and ask a question, uh, 1-800-316-316 is the number. Now, David, before we wrap up today, one thing I'd love to uh, ask you about is... About your personal Bible reading habits. And the reason I want to ask this is, you know, obviously we're passionate about getting the Word of God out around the nation, uh, around the nations. But the reality is, in places like the US and Australia, many of us have many Bibles (laughs) uh, on our phones. We've got, you know, many Bibles on our shelves. But we don't, many believers don't actually pick up the Word and do daily devotions, don't know how to have their own Bible study. They, they might listen to a sermon or a podcast or Christian radio, but they don't know how to, have, how to self-feed on God's Word. And as a pastor, it's one thing I'm so passionate about, uh, training and equipping people to study the Word and feed themselves on God's Word. So would you just share with us, David, what do you do for your personal Bible study?
1: Well, I assume that many of your listeners would be familiar with U Version. You know about the app for your uh, you, on your phone. U
0: Version. Yep. A lot of people uh, use U Version. Yep. Yeah. U Version. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A lot of people
1: use U Version. That's my go-to source. Mm-hmm. U Version are the brothers there who are behind that. Bob Greenwald and others love you know, what we're doing in Bible translation. Are partnering with us? Actually, helping fun projects. And some of the countries there in South Asia uh, with us and all, so this is my go-to place for scripture reading. One of the things you'll also find in U Version, we have a reading plan in U Version. We just pu- published up there, uh, just uh, early January it went on there. So that that's my go-to. U Version reading plans are a great place if you're not one of who just just want to. You know, of course, the old day of flipping open the Bible and just putting your finger on the text randomly, you can't do that with a, a digital. <laughs> version of your text but when you have a digital version of the text in your pocket you have no excuse you, you know it's not like well i left the bible at home i don't i didn't bring it with me to church but it's in your pocket so the reading plans are a great way to go through that and there's one in there that unfolding word as in this basically mirroring a, a translation process that we're doing with brothers and sisters in sudan called the equipping journey you're taking it literally takes you to the very same text selected scripture portions to build out their theological foundations and that reading plan is part of that so if i were someone to ask me about what they should do I'd say get on you version sign up for a reading plan and there are many good ones there um, and use that to bring some discipline in the process to help you figure out you know where you are where you're going and you know set some structure to it
0: Fantastic. Well, I, I use YouVersion Version as well. I do the uh, the Life Journal reading plan on there, where you read through the Bible every year: the Old Testament once, New Testament twice, and I try and encourage all of our church to follow that same plan. Uh, now, I'm I'm, I'm going to look up the Unfolding Word plan on U uh, Version as well. Uh, it's a great app, and uh, you know millions of people around the world have been impacted by that app. Uh, such a, a a great ministry. Fantastic. Well, it's been so good to have you with us. Uh, on the radio today, David, uh, if people want to find out more uh, about Unfolding Word, the website is unfoldingword.org. Uh, you're also on all the social media channels, I take it?
1: Yep, you'll find us on uh despite all your usual ones. Face- Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, <laughs> all the whole works.
0: Are you on TikTok yet?
1: Uh, we didn't go there.
0: <laughs> 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 yeah, well, uh, it has been uh, so good to catch up with you. and I know it's uh, getting late in Orlando, Florida, where you're based. It's, uh, it's probably bedtime soon, hey?
1: Yeah, that'll be the next thing. But it's a joy to be able to talk with you, Matt, and be able to share with your audience there.
0: Well, David, it's been such a privilege to uh, hear of the incredible work of Unfolding Word. Once again, if people want to search it up, unfoldingword.org. And uh, we encourage people to, as you said before, People can pray for the work of Bible translation. People can uh, You've got some jobs available for people interested in employment. And if people want to make a donation, it would be greatly accepted as well. Uh, unfoldingword.org is the website. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.